1911 is one of the most iconic firearms in history. Designed by John Browning, the 1911 was the standard-issue sidearm of the U.S. military from 1911 to 1985. While Colt produced the original, almost every major firearm company has produced its own version. It's wildly revered for its reliability, crisp trigger, and is still a favorite for all types of shooters. Whether you're looking to buy or build a 1911 and just about everything for guns, log on to MidwayUSA.com. Boat Trader, America's largest boating marketplace, offering easy financing and over 100,000 boat listings to choose from. Sell, find, and finance new or used boats on America's largest boating marketplace. Visit BoatTrader.com to get started. Whether you're just looking to stay warm during a hunt or need maximum concealment, the clothing you wear can make or break a hunt. At MidwayUSA.com, we understand hunting clothing has come a long way with more meticulously crafted camo patterns, advanced scent control technologies, and weatherproof options to withstand the elements. Hunters have to wait until their favorite season, but shouldn't wait on gear, which is why MidwayUSA offers super-fast shipping. When you're ready for your next system, log on to MidwayUSA.com. This week's episode is brought to you by Dive Bomb Industries, the fastest growing, most affordable decoys on the market with unmatched customer service. Visit them online at divebombindustries.com, on Instagram or Facebook at Dive Bomb Industries, or go ahead and give them a call anytime, seven days a week at 314-322-7468. And go ahead and use the promo code FOULFRONT, all undercase with a space in between foul and front, for 10% off your next purchase of Dive Bomb Decoys. Welcome to the Foul Front Outdoors Waterfowl Podcast, where our goal is to recruit and educate new hunters while entertaining the rest of you. Without new hunters and the mentorship of those more seasoned, this passion as we know it faces an uncertain future. So get the word out, turn the volume up, and enjoy the show, because you're on the Foul Front. This episode also brought to you in part by Hunt Hickory Creek. And new to Hunt Hickory Creek this year is their Central Kansas Lodge. They're going to be running hunters from the end of October all the way through January. And their main hunting area is located between Kavira National Refuge and Cheyenne Bottoms. Now Central Kansas is a special place for waterfowl hunting. And during the peak migration, these refuges hold hundreds of thousands, if not close to millions of birds at one time. So for your chance of a hunt of a lifetime... Head on over to HuntHickoryCreek.com, because if you're going to hunt Kansas, hunt Hickory Creek. All right, today is an opportunity recording. I've got Tag in here. We just had an awesome recording with uh, Brian Moyes, uh, which you guys heard that last week. Uh, But then, of course, as he always does at this time of the evening, uh, Devin decided he was going to call us. Um, So, Devin, what's up, man? Not too much. How about you guys? Oh, doing doing pretty good. Can't complain. Good. Yeah. So uh, good, good, Devin. You want to give us a little bit of um, like, give yourself a little introduction. Um, how long you've been hunting, and you know, kind of um, your story. Okay. Yeah. So uh, I've been hunting for pretty uh, pretty much since I was seven years old. Um, I grew up deer hunting, like 90% of uh, American hunters probably have. And, and uh, then uh, probably around when I was 10 years old, I got into turkey hunting just to extend my season. And as we'll probably find out, you guys already know, I'm a huge turkey hunter. Um, so I've been doing that for about 17 years, 15 years, somewhere around there. Um, and then the past three years, uh, had a buddy invite me out and said, you got to get into waterfowling. And I didn't even know duck hunting existed even I didn't know you could shoot ducks or geese or anything like that. You know, I've always played golf and looked at them and stuff like that and never even thought there was a season for it. Probably pretty stupid, but, uh, but yeah, yeah, I found out that I can hunt. I went out, killed my first two ducks on my first trip and I uh, was hooked ever since. Yeah. I, um, you know, you make a funny, funny statement there. I've been golfing. Oh, intermittently, um, for the last decade or so. And, um, a terrible, terrible golf. <laughs> Absolutely awful. Um, I'm to the point now where, you know, I can get bogey, bogey plus two or three, uh, pretty averagely. Um, but, uh, in the last five years, so, you know, I, my buddies always get 
super ticked off at me. They're not waterfowl hunters, the guys I go golfing with. But they're always like, hey, Ben, are you are you here to uh, take pictures of the ducks and the geese? Or or <laughs> are we going to play this par three? Yeah, there's no way I'd be able to do that. I'd be way too distracted. Yeah. <clears throat> so we do a little bit more, do things a little bit differently. We play skins. You know what skins is? No. Or, you know how to play skins? Basically, no. you lose a hole and you go like of a hole. But we do it with beer. So oh, yeah, whoever yeah, loses yeah. has to chug a can of beer before the next hole. So it gets pretty interesting. Usually, I don't remember what's going on because I'm usually the one that's losing by that time. So I'd probably start playing better. Do they do they do they play <laughs> handicaps in that game? <laughs> no, I think it's, I think we just play try to hit the ball as best as you can and get it in, in, the, in the. Okay, you know what? Hole, so. I'm what I'm really good by, for. By the 18th hole, you're lucky standing. So okay, you know what? No one wants to hear about golf on a waterfowl podcast. Let's let's go ahead and, and, and you know what? No one wants to hear about or turkeys. any podcast. Yeah, okay. you brought it up, so I don't want to hear it. Okay, yeah, no, no, but um, at, at any rate, let, let's move forward. Um, yeah, we'll edit that out. That's fine. Uh, first and foremost, though, let's let's get into a little bit more about your waterfowl hunting, and then we'll talk a little bit about uh, waterfowl hunting. Um, uh, for the, not the newbies, I guess that's a, almost a derogatory word, but like, um, talking Green to someone hard, who's, maybe. who's only been, you know, waterfowl hunting for just, uh, this is your second or third season. Well, if you consider hunting the last, my first hunt was the last day of duck season, then this will be my fourth season, but if not, then it'll be okay. the third. So gotcha. depends on how you look at it. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. So, you know, you're only two seasons away from having your own waterfowl podcast, so <laughs> all right so why don't you go ahead and uh, tell me about your very first duck hunt so i was uh i was actually deer hunting um, with some buddies and uh part of a deer camp in north carolina in eastern north carolina and and they said you got to come duck hunting and I'm, like i said before you know i didn't really know what was going on so they said yeah come down next week it's the last weekend the ducks are in it's cold you know, all you need is a pair of waders and a shotgun. So I went to Academy, which is kind of like a better Walmart, a cheaper Dick Sporting Goods, um, for those who don't know, and got the cheapest pair of waders I could find. I looked like a goofball and uh, brought my great granddaddy's uh, Mossberg AT500, which is a pump shotgun with a built in uh, full choke. So I took it out there, got some, some number three shot. Really didn't know what I was going doing. I just tried to do everything cheap because I had no idea what I was in for. Um, got there that morning. The next morning, we went out early, early, went down the swamp. And I was expecting to be, like, standing in the water. We weren't really in water. We were off of a river where there was little patches of swamps here and there, and I was actually standing on dry ground. But he got instructed me. He said, you stand here. And I thought he was going to stand with me and show me what to do. But he left me. He was like, here, the birds are coming in fast. Be ready for them. They're going to fly over the trees. They flap the way you can figure out what they look like and how they fly is they flap faster than normal birds. That's all he gave me. And he walked off about 200 yards. So I had no idea what I was in for. Didn't know what I was looking for. Kind of a dangerous thing, but I was me and him were the only ones there. So I knew that uh, nobody else was around. So I couldn't shoot anybody but myself if something were to, were to happen. But um, I... Uh, was waiting and then just right after the sunlight came came up first light started to hear some weird noise some whistling i never heard that before and uh, i just i took my my gun off the safety had it pointed in the safe direction and you know they came over a group of four came over and i shot in one drop i honestly can tell you i didn't aim i just shot they came in so fast and uh from there i was like this is pretty awesome i've never done anything like this and from there i got hooked um Really, uh, that's when I started kind of out on my own because it was the last day of the season. It was really a horrible time to get into it because I spent the next well, six or so months, six, seven months, basically just trying to read up as much information as possible and just un- un- uh, uncontained excitement for the next season coming in, um, what I had to look forward to. You know, so... I kind of had a, a soft opening into waterfowl hunting because, you know, I was exposed to it when I was younger. I knew what it was about, but I didn't really like it or, or like, I didn't really get into it or anything like that. Um, but uh, through the people that I bring out, 
um, and I try to, my goal is to get like two or three people hooked every year um, into waterfowl hunting. And I just remember like every time they're always saying, no, the whistling, like I, I didn't know wings whistled like that. I didn't know, you know, I didn't know they, they did that and all this, you know, and how fast they move and saying like, you know, the people that I take out, um, they're pretty, for the most part, pretty, pretty well versed in, in shooting and, and shotguns and, and firearms and things like that. And they're like, yeah, I, I have no idea what my sight picture looked like. I, I, I don't even know if I aimed, like I just shot two rounds. I, I, I was, there was too much target, you know? And I was like, yeah, yeah, pretty funny. But yeah. And, and, and you mentioned that and, you know, we get on the, I can get on the subject a little bit later, but I try just cause somebody reached out to me and did the same thing and got me into waterfowling, which I never would have got into waterfowling and done this and eventually met you guys through, um, through podcast groups and stuff like that. So it's, I mean, it's, it really, I try to give back um, to the sport, um, as much as possible. I try to take out two, three, four, five guys every year this year, I take out five guys and I'm pretty sure everybody, all but one of them, got their first bird, which is pretty awesome. So. Yeah, that's awesome. That's really good. That's really good. All right, so you you had some. You're you're pretty fresh to it. Um, well, I mean, we all are, but um, you had some an interesting, you unique perspective, in that you you're, you're a lot closer than you know some of these other people um, that are trying to give advice, but you're closer to the mistakes made. Um, you know, and as you know, am I, um, you know, we, we were making these first time mistakes, uh, much shorter time ago. And I think the first three to four years of waterfowling, and it depends on the person, um, can, that's, that's where you do your learning. You know, you, you learn a lot of stuff after that cause you never stop learning, but man, you, you'll never beat that first like three or four years of, knowledge, you know, uh, influx, you know, learning and reading and all that other stuff. And, and I think you, you talked to me yesterday and you, you had some, some interesting things that you wanted to tell some people that maybe are in their first, second, maybe third year or or have never even hunted before, but are, you know, listening to us as a way to kind of bone up for the season and, um, get ready. Yeah. So, um, We've got a couple, and, and the first one I can think of that I've, that I've probably ran into first would be knowing distances of how far birds are. And I say that because I was a sky buster for my first, well, if you consider my first full season, probably halfway through it. I was shooting a bird 60 yards up, and, you know, I was in not to – cover my butt but I, I was out there by myself after the guy took me out i never really talked to him again he gave me a good spot to go try out and hunt on this river and i took a kayak in the dark and, and you know set up and and never and just kind of did it myself from here on out so you know i, I really wasn't i didn't, really didn't have anybody under my wing so my biggest thing was was at first was judging distance it's a very hard thing to do when you have a bird flying at you early light like a, a wood duck um, and you know, you're excited cause you're new into it. You want to shoot, you want to put some birds in the water or on the ground and you see these birds fly over and, and it's, it's really important that you do that because one, you can wound the bird and that's not, that's not, you know, what you're out there for is to help wing, wing a whole bunch of birds and have them float down the river and never be seen again. Um, and two, you know, you end up, uh, doing what I think the biggest thing is, educating those birds um to your spot and and, you know decoys and everything like that so you know that's probably something that's reverberated or uh that's said a lot um by other people but i think it's a big point to kind of if you're new to kind of figure out and then you can kind of you can kind of fix that and, and and get your get your distance figured out by shooting skeet during the off season or during the season and kind of just putting it max out and seeing where you can completely bust up clays at a certain distance, walk it out, see where the distance is and kind of where that 
that target goes, that clay goes, and you shoot it and make sure you can hit it for that distance. And that'll get you a little bit better into um, visualizing birds when they're coming at you at, you know, 40 miles an hour or, or uh, faster. So that's one of my biggest things uh, for starting off that I had trouble with. Um, I know that's a big no-no in the waterfowling community, but again, when you're new, you know, you're going to make mistakes. So it's not something to be frowned upon. You know, if someone comes to you and starts yelling at you, some, Hey, you know, if you don't mind teaching me, take me under your wing, you know, I want to be a better hunter. Um, I want to learn these things. And that's what I did. So my second thing would be, uh, always tell somebody where you're going. I didn't do this at first. I didn't tell my wife. Then I just told them, hey, I'm going this on the is, river. This is huge. If I'm not back on this time. Yeah, this is huge. Like, a lot of people forget this. Like, make sure you tell somebody. Send them a pen before you get there if you know where you're going to be or the general area, say, here and here. And give them a time you're going to be back by so that your loved ones aren't freaking out and they know when to come looking for you if they are freaking out. Because I say this. Because when I first started out, I didn't have a boat. It was a swift Blackwater River in eastern North Carolina. And it was probably in November. It was probably 40 degrees out. I was lucky. It was fairly warm. And I was going through. My buddy and I split up. And he was going back to the truck upstream. And I was going to go down to some lane and downstream. And he was going to meet me at this private uh, pickup spot. And, you know, from there we just go. Because I just wanted to keep hunting. I was two birds. Or I was a bird shy of a wood duck limit so i go down i shoot this bird that had popped out as i was going down the river and i went to pick it up next thing i know i'm trying to wring its neck next thing i know i am actually i feel something hit me in the side of the head and so i lean to the left and as i do that water starts coming in my kayak i flip out of my kayak and my waders lost my gun gopro we had all this stuff shells everything and the only thing i didn't lose was the stuff that floated which was my kayak. Wait, so you, you lost my your paddle gun? And ducks. Yeah, I lost my gun. It's still down there to this day. And like I said, it could have been super, and I was still half mile from the pickup point. And I was lucky that it wasn't super cold out. Yeah. I got out to the bank. About I swam over to the bank with the, with the uh, kayak in tow. And I went out, dumped, dumped my laders out, got back in the kayak and floated downstream. You yeah. know, and of course, you know, I see like 14 more ducks going down the river. That has no a gun to shoot at them. But. That's a that's a rough that's a rough lesson to learn in the field. Um, yeah, yeah. You know, and you that, t- I mean, that was within my first two months of actually, or probably month of actually doing waterfowl myself. Yeah. So you know, just make sure. My biggest thing is make sure you tell somebody because if I hadn't told him, and he probably still would have been waiting for me, he wouldn't have saw anything. But you know, I soaked my phone. My phone was ruined all that stuff. Um, and so, you know, I, I was out, I was, you know, down the creek without a paddle. Yeah. Um, one know, thing that I do, and, it could have um, been bad. and this is probably, um, maybe you'd call it overkill, but to me, there's, you know, when you're out in the woods, you know, seconds equal minutes and minutes equal death. Um, especially when it comes to hypothermia and things like that. Whenever I go hunting, uh, well, first and foremost, yeah, I, I tell my wife like, Hey, this is where I'm going. Oh, and also this is my plan B. <laughs> if no one can find me there, look here and look here. Okay. Uh, especially if I'm not in cell phone range. The other thing I do at my truck, um, I leave a message and, or I leave a note on, you know, in my window and it says, you know, my name, my phone number, and particularly where I'm hunting and a timestamp with the timestamp saying, hey, if this is older than eight or ten hours, call the authorities um, and alert them, you know, um, because, you know, if, if someone sees my truck there and like sees, oh, man, he left this note 12 hours ago and it says that if no, OK, hey, you know what, here's a good starting point for these guys to start looking, you know. Also, you know, this is my last known location because you don't want to end up in some, you know, 127 hours situation where you're cutting off your arm or something like that or dying of hypothermia just because you were chasing some ducks. And um, no, that's yeah. a noble thing, but like uh, it's just, yeah, you're right. If you're going by yourself, let other people know. And then also don't be too confident in, in your, in your, uh, yeah, and 
ability to save yourself because everybody can be humbled. Oh, yeah. Mother Nature is nothing to be reckoned with. I mean, I, I realized that because after turkey hunting and deer hunting for so long, you really kind of get used to being on land. You're not really – you can't be in harm's way, but 90% of the time you're fine wherever you go, right. deer hunting or turkey hunting. Waterfowl is a whole other level of extreme weather. Uh, weather can turn on you. You're usually not somewhere near water or in water. So, you know, that can be extremely dangerous. And, you know, going new, you're thinking of, and my mindset was, I shot that bird and I was like, yes, I shot my three bird limit of wood ducks for the first time ever. I was super excited about it. It was an accomplishment for me that I'd set out to do. And I wasn't thinking about anything else at the time. You know, and after I thought about it, like I could have slowed that moment down and I replayed it over and over again um, and could have avoided something like that. Because the duck's going to keep floating down the river. It was dead. You know, if I didn't have a good point where I could get it safely, I could, you know, keep kind of away from trees and stuff that were over in, in the river that I ended up hitting. So, yeah, you really do. I mean, the biggest, that's probably the most important thing out of any mistakes is, is, you know, tell somebody where you're going. Like, like I said, leave a note, leave your wife a pen or a couple pins of where you might be throughout the day. Right. Because the other mistakes, you'll get a second chance out. You may not get a second chance at this mistake. So I would, I would definitely, that's a big, big thing. Especially as a, as a rookie, you know, you don't really think about those things, the dangers. You're only thinking about the reward um, yeah. for going out there every time and, and what you said, I mean, the, um, the accomplishments you're trying to, set out for so uh number three i would say my biggest mistake was not asking people for for help as far as learning and you know it's not a huge deal because there's so many tutorials there's so many youtube videos everybody's got their own thing now and, and no one way is concrete for doing duck hunting correctly but i really wish i would have reached out to older folks, guys who had done it a, a lot more than I had, and really learned in those first two years because I made a lot of mistakes um, about setting up. One of the big mistakes was I shot out a, a hole, a wood duck hole, and I just kept going back to it because I was like, oh, yeah, you know, keep shooting it. And I didn't think to give it a rest. So I just kept going back because there was more ducks going in there, and I didn't have any clue that I would shoot it out because it seemed like the wood ducks were always there no matter what. Right. Um, right. And I bring up wood ducks mostly because that's all I hunt over here because it's not really a, a great – plethora of, of ducks besides going to the actual east coast where there's a whole bunch of divers right but again um but yeah so that that i mean that was a big mistake in itself because i ended up shooting that hole and i ended up wasting time precious saturdays and fridays that i had off to go to a place that wasn't wasn't producing and it, and somebody could have told me you know had i reached out and asked somebody and, and I know it's a controversial subject asking older people because some people get upset about new people joining the sport. And, and I don't really like calling it a sport. The pastime, the um, hobby um, of duck hunting. And it's very territorial. So people, new people get really kind of anxious about doing it and they'd rather just do it themselves. And I think it'd be easy because it's just like asking property permission. You know, if you don't get the first one, go to the next person and, and just keep doing that. Until you find somebody that was willing to take you under the wing and really wants to, to show you the loops and really make you a better hunter and just share it because they have the same passion that you do. Right. Um, and, and also be respectful. Don't try to act like you know it all either because I know that's one of the things that turns people off from actually trying to, trying to learn. And I'll say this. It's a turkey story, but it relates back to waterfowling. Um, a couple years ago, same hunt club that got me into waterfowling. I wasn't sure of the way in there. And so I got a guy to take me out and I acted like I didn't know anything. Although I had 10 years experience under my belt, I acted like I didn't know how to call all that stuff. Cause I wanted to know what he had to offer because he'd been doing it the same amount of time I did. But even though he was doing it the same time, there was something that I could learn from him and there was. Um, and so, you know, just, I, I just acted like I didn't know it all, even though I had I had been turkey hunting for ten years. I, I did that so I could learn something. Because if you if you shut your mind out that you know everything and, and this and that, you're not willing to learn. And sometimes you can learn some actually really important things 
that you can use to better yourself as a hunter, as a sportsman, um, as a conservationist, all those things. I think that you so, talk about an awesome dichotomy there. So there's, you know, when it comes to waterfowl hunting and hunting in general, Tegan, I, I hope, I think you'll agree with this. So there is a, uh, there's a kind of a need or an urge, almost a guttural feeling that, um, to prove your worth when you're talking about something to show that you have a, you know, especially a, a sport or pastime as passionate, um, that consumes us as, as much as hunting does. We don't want to look like, um, newbies. Um, if we've, if we've spent any considerable time around it, um, and around it. And I think that's, it's both good and bad. Like I, 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 de- I definitely understand, and I've, I've, it ebbs and flows within me, especially running a, a waterfowl podcast with only five seasons of, of waterfowl hunting experience. And granted, you know, not, not to talk about it, but um, I've, I've shot or I've had a lot of opportunities that um, are unique um, in waterfowling, just with basically hunting a different state. Uh, all five years um but the other thing too is is guess what just because the way you did it in oklahoma um or the way that you did it in el paso um just because it worked down there or just because that's the way you've been doing it doesn't mean that everybody else is wrong just because someone wants to put a mojo in, in right in the hole uh doesn't mean that's wrong just because someone wants to set the mojo up out on the hill like i do that's not wrong. There, we get so tied up in who's right and who's wrong and what piece of gear um, you need to have, what piece of gear that is garbage. We get we lose sight, I think, of the whole thing. Is this? Guess what? Um, as hunters interacting with nature, um, we are all different. We're all unique, and though we have very common threads, um, and you know. The same pulse runs through our veins for a waterfowl. Um, we are all we all do things a little bit different. We're all just unique little soldiers marching on the field that is waterfowl hunting, and we have to remember. Guess what? The love of waterfowl brings us all together, and we don't need to fight. <laughs> we don't need to fight when we're in there. We can we can passionately discuss things, but um, we shouldn't be we shouldn't be. Making each other feel bad, I, I mean, don't think. I, I, yeah, no, I, and I could go on about this, and I'll just say this is that's kind of what, and I don't even like saying this, but the hunting industry, quote-unquote, quote it's kind of brought to hunting. Like, when I grew up, I didn't even know there was people on TV, people getting paid money to hunt. You know, we hunted for food. We hunted to get together every week, or not every week, but once a year for a week for deer camp to spend time with each other, to laugh have a good time, make memories in that week and wait patient or not. Well, as patiently as you could for the next, next time around to see those people, um, to share your life with them again. And and that's really what it's about. This people get stuck on pro staff, although it means promotional, not professional staff. Um, you know, they get caught up that if they're a pro staff or they're professional, they've got to put piles out. (laughs) They got to do that. And I've gotten ridiculed for putting, taking a picture of every bird that I've killed, but I do it because I like to remember the hunt. It's a respectful way for me to remember that bird that I took its life. Um, even if it didn't have, it was the day where I only killed one bird or I killed two. I didn't kill six. Um, in fact, I've never killed six birds together um, for a limit. But, you know, again, people have different perspectives. And it's not wrong to want to kill piles, but you also have to put in perspective that you're part nature and you have to respect it as much as possible if that's the only thing you're out there to do then you're not respecting nature and what what it was um created for as a natural resource um that you're you're you know taking up and you're not giving anything back to so yeah well i mean you guys are both right too everyone has different experiences and you know i think that's cool that you said you know you know a lot about your turkey hunting but you let that other guy you know kind of give you the what's what because you have the respect of another hunter and you know like ben was saying he's hunted in a lot of different states and you know very few two places are exactly the same 
you know, I, I wouldn't go down to Arkansas or Louisiana or East Texas and, you know, start judging somebody's uh, timber hole spread up when I've never hunted flooded timber in my life. Uh, you know, I may think that somebody doing something is a little bit different, but like you guys are saying, I think it's good to respect other hunters and the way that they do things. And, you know, maybe you'll learn something new too. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I a hundred percent agree with that. And, um, a great thing was, you know, Chase, uh, great guy, great guy, best guy I've ever been with. And I'm not trying to just promote something. It's, it's my personal experience. I've been with a whole bunch of guys about six or seven and he was the most genuine person. He treated me like a person. This, is Chase, this is Chase from Hunt Hickory Creek, correct? Correct. Okay. Yes, it's Chase from Hunt Hickory Creek. Um, and never had been treated like that with a guy. He treated me like a best friend, like a good friend that I hadn't seen in forever. Um, and, you know, going out there, people were like, well, why don't you just go, you know, on public land and do it yourself? You've got enough experience to do that. And although I did, I didn't have the time because hunting a bird in Kansas is a lot different than hunting a bird in North Carolina. I know how Easterns work, but I've never hunted Rio. So to me, for you to go out there and act like I know, I'm going to end up looking like a fool most of the time and possibly not come back with a bird. That's why I, I went with him because, you know, I knew I didn't have a lot of time to do it. And, and it was a good, if anything, I was paying for an experience to learn how to hunt Rios for the future, to learn how the birds, you know, interact in their environment. Because I would have never guessed that, you know, these Rios were in these uh, small, uh, I can't remember what they called them, but it was like a small oak tree, type of oak tree. Um, and in these trees and, you know, or even in cedar trees, they would go and like lay underneath cedar trees. I would have never guessed that. I'm, I'm used to birds being sometimes in fields, and these birds were completely different. And I would have just literally not been able to kill any or get be able to learn anything because I would have just been dumbfounded. Again, it goes yeah. back to you know, humbling yourself and, and trying to soak up as much information as possible. And just because you know a lot of information, there's always more information to soak up. Uh, right. But again, I guess uh, uh, my fourth point would be uh, as a new waterfowler, you don't have to have everything. You don't have to have sickly gear. It is nice gear, but you don't have to be pressured into that. And again, that kind of goes back to the whole waterfowling uh, what do you call it? Industry. They're pushing all these products, and that's what they're doing. They want you to buy it. And they want people, and they want people to take pictures with it, and you know, act like their gear made them kill ducks. The biggest yeah. thing that I found in waterfowling was not the gear, not the guns, not the shells. It was my time in the woods. That's what made me a better hunter, and that's what make any new person a hunter. I don't want people to get not confused, but sidetracked by that all the nice gear you can have nice gear that's not i'm not saying that you know it's nice to have nice gear and, and stuff and everything that matches for someone like that's OCD like me but really the most things going to make you a better hunter especially if you're by yourself or you're hunting with other new guys as you're getting more people out is just log time out in the woods it's the most thing you can do even if you're failing every time you go out there you're going to learn what not to do for the next time Right. And it may be frustrating, but in the end, you're gonna you're putting in an investment for the long term, not for the short short term uh, instant gratification, which is what our entire society is built on. Yeah, and I think the um, too another thing with a, that. Sorry, another thing with that is is that uh, there is a considerable and every like I said, every person is different. Every person has a different checkbook or a different bank account. Um, you know, numbers, you know, different amounts of money mean different amounts uh, to different people. But w- no, one thing that I mean, I've told. I think one right. thing that will always persevere is, is that whatever that dollar market is that um, kind of makes you like feel bad about spending, um, you know, don't don't butt right up to that mark on your first, second or third season, because, man, that's. That can really make you – I mean we've all bought something. We've all paid for something that was super expensive uh, for waterfowl hunting or hunting, anything. Um, and we've – it feels really great until you put it in the garage um, and then you walk in and you, you, know, you see your, your wife 
standing there and she has no idea. You're like, oh, hey, babe. Uh, hey, we're not going out to dinner tonight. <laughs> you know, uh, things things like that. I know that that's definitely happened to me and I've regretted some purchases that I thought that I absolutely needed. Um, uh, like you said, I, I think that I would caution you in your first, second, third season until you really um, have set a budget for this and set an expectation to your significant other or your even yourself um, about, hey, guess what? There's a budget. <laughs> There's well, a budget for waterfowl hunting now. You know, I, I also hate to see people uh, try to correlate price of gear and products with success because, you know, like you, Devin, I was very self-taught. Uh, I didn't have any mentors really. Um, I actually started duck hunting on my very own. I didn't even get taken on a hunt, and, you know, I bought, like, 24 GHG hot buys for, like, 30 bucks at a garage sale, and I had an old hand-me-down 870, and, you know, I, I killed a lot of ducks when I was younger with some very, very low-end gear, and, you know, I since then have bought some nicer things, but I also, like Ben is saying, I've also made some regretful purchases as well, and I don't think that the price tag on something necessarily is going to give you success. Yeah. And I just look at like the Facebook market in, in my area, wherever I go. And I look on there and, I, you know, I'll see uh, a dozen decoys come up or like two or three dozen decoys or some some sort of, you know, barely used waterfowl um, piece of equipment. And I'll, t- I'll text the guy real quick and say, hey, what, what's the deal? Um, he's like, oh, man, I, I got into it. I kind of overspent on stuff. And, or you know, I just it really wasn't for me. And I, and I really hope that he didn't think or he or she did not think that hey that's the precedent i need to spend 155 bucks every time i go to cabela's on waterfowl stuff i i hope that that precedent wasn't spent that you know waterfowling is an expensive sport but it doesn't have to be the most expensive thing in the world oh yeah and and my biggest thing is save your money on gear and spend it on experiences because if you want to go take a guided trip in Alaska or if you want to go to Utah and shoot a cinnamon or, you know, whatever your, your dream hunt may be, save your money and spend it on that dream hunt. Because um, you can't you can sell all that stuff, but you can't get, you know, time is the one thing that you can't, you know, rewind or get back. You're putting in your investment every day, every hour, um, and you don't get it back. So, you know, use that money to spend it on uh, an experience. I mean, I'm not saying you you have to, but, uh, that's my look at it. And I tell all my buddies, I took out five guys this year. I told them, I said, go to Academy, get, get whatever waiters is in your price range. I'm not gonna make fun of you. If you look like a fool, cause I look like a fool with the waiters that didn't have, have any pockets and basically look like, um, a onesie basically, but, uh, was like a giant baby in them. <laughs> of camo. Uh, yeah. Yeah, that's true. And, and so, I mean, get, get what makes you, feel like and i have buddies that use 870s you know they use pump shotguns you know i don't tell them you need to get a semi-automatic whatever whatever feels comfortable whatever's your price range our great granddads and our granddads and our forefathers hunted with you know nothing like the coats that they wore every day to work in the fields or go to the factories and work and the jeans that they wore and the shoes that they wore they didn't they didn't have all this stuff and they were successful so we can do it too and, and i mean that where you set a precedence where they have to come up to be on your level or kind of com- not compete, so so, on, so to say, but to get the same stuff you do because they're wanting to be as good as you are or, or, you know, be what they think a waterfowler might be. So, you know, again, when I when I bring people in just like you do that are new, I tell them, get by with what you're going to get by. If you want to wear a real tree, you know, deer camo shirt out there, I don't care. Whatever's in your budget, man, because camo's camo. It's not, you know, I got into the whole, sucked into the whole, you know, deer hunting can't, or deer hunting versus waterfowl camo, and I had so much crap in my closet, I had to just clean it out, and that's, you know, I ended up going with some stuff that I could use for turkey deer, if I ever deer hunted much, and, and waterfowl, all the same, and it was just, you know, two or three pieces of clothing that I could wear every day, all, all the time, and whatnot. You know, I find myself being so, really uh, bad about being that guy that says, well, back in the day this, back in the day that. And I think sometimes, you know, you don't want to be that guy, but it's kind of true. You know, you, you touched on, you said that 
people didn't used to always have all this stuff and whatnot, and they used to not have all these cameras. I mean, it's true. How long did our grandfathers kill deer in the old uh, red and black checker flannel Mackinac coat and Mackinac hat? And you know, there's no reason that it shouldn't still work. Yeah, exactly. No, I agree. Um, another tip that I have, or not really tip, just a word of advice, take it or leave it, um, is for training dogs. I'm new to training dogs, too. Um, and you don't have to have a retriever. I did because where I was at, it made sense because the water is 10, 10, 12 feet deep and fast flowing. And I, if I'm having birds come in, the birds would be gone by the time I got into a kayak or boat and started my motor up. So it made more sense to me have a dog to retrieve and be back. And, you know, I could focus on uh, hunting because I usually have about a 30 to 40 minute window of shooting time with wood ducks every morning before it's over. So you spend 10, 12, 15 minutes going and retrieving ducks. You know, I'm not a lot of opportunity to actually enjoy the hunt and that stuff. Um, so with retrievers, I would say watch as much. You don't have to have, you know, this top breeder, top, you know, trainer, train your dog. You know, if you have the money, then you can. But, uh, you know, it, for me, I got my dog, you know, for a cheap price in my price range. And I train him and he does all I want him, want him to do. He's not the best dog in the world. He's not the most orderly dog in the world, but he does what I want him to do. And we have a good time doing it. And we share memories doing it. And I see all these people when they get in, they're new. They want to buy this hunting dog and they want to get one from this, you know, famed breeder or famed trainer. And they spend all this money on a dog. And I've seen the dog, you know, sometimes they're but they bust and sometimes they don't. And you really don't need to break your wallet doing that. You know, you're, you're actually just investing in a hunting friend and the most most important thing you can invest in them is time and love because at the end of the day, they don't have many years, um, not to bring in a sad subject, but they don't have many, uh, many years. And the more time you get to spend with them, the more memories, the more mess ups, you know, the funnier it is and the more you can look back on, um, with them. So that's just my little dog tip. Right. Um, right. Hey, and, qu- go ahead. Oh, all right. sorry. Uh, Hey, quick question. So, you know, you were taking out on one duck hunt, but then after that, you said you did a bunch of research, and you know I as well. When I started off, you know I was looking up so much stuff, just even on Google. And you know one thing that is nice this day and age is that everything's at your fingertips right away. And so, do you want to kind of touch on when you started doing this research? You know, for all these listeners who maybe are new and just getting into it, or maybe you're thinking about getting into it but haven't yet. You know, wh- how did you approach the research, and wh- how did you, you know, get into learning more detailed uh, things with waterfowl on your own? So, yeah. Um, simple question would be I just Googled duck hunting. Or for the specific thing, I, I knew the ducks that were in my region, so I started, for instance, how to, how to hunt wood ducks early season, how to hunt wood ducks late season, uh, best places to hunt wood ducks, how to hunt them along rivers uh, with oxbows, um, how to hunt them back in the swamp. I just researched as much thing I could think of and just kept giving more information. And then, you know, from there, I started learning about all the other birds, although we don't have all the birds, and just doing that for each bird. And so last year was my first year uh, doing early season teal. And again, I took a guide. It was a bust. Guy didn't really even pay me much attention or, or try to teach me anything. And, you know, he was a kid. He was younger than me. But, you know, I was out there to learn. I got a spot where he had showed me his public land because in North County, you can guide on public land. Um, and so I, I noted the spot, which may be frowned upon, but it was public land. So, and, you know, I'm, I paid money. So you know, it wasn't like I just stole a spot. And I came back next week because I had a different idea. I started researching the whole week at work when I had free time about how to hunt them. I found out you could use um, hen de- mallard decoys instead of going out and buying uh, teal decoys. I had already had some from Academy, some cheap ones. And that they love spinners. Early season, they love spinners. So I went out and got one. I had a wood duck spinner, actually, that I had from previous year that I bought. And I put it out there. And I hunted a different spot up from where they showed me, but it was the same cove area. And I killed my first two uh, blue-winged teal. Um, didn't know how to call, didn't know anything like that. But I just from research and from the area and kind of knowing the general area of where to hunt, 
where they were coming in and how they like to fly along along the coastline uh, that I was able to be you know successful in my book. I didn't come home empty-handed. I came home knowing that what my research did paid off um, and learned a valuable lesson more than anything. Uh, so that was kind of one of those applied lessons. The other thing was I would just research about the species. Uh, again, I kind of touched on that earlier, but I would just put in, I learned the duck, ducks, what they look like. And then after I learned them and learned the identification, watched videos on how they look like flying, what the noises they made, I started researching more and more like their habitat, what they like to do and learning about them in each species. Uh, then I, you know, would research stuff about how to build blinds, when to build blinds, when to call, when not to call. Although I'm a terrible caller, unless it's wood ducks, which wood ducks are easy, but well, um, hey, 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 let me stop you right there real quick, just because, you know, talking earlier about how just because one thing may not work for another person, but it could still work for someone else. You know, you and I were talking on the phone the other night, and I thought it was kind of funny that you said that, you know, some people told you, well, hey, wood ducks aren't responsive to calls. But then, you know, you said, no, that's not true. Like, I have definitely called in wood ducks and you know, you were kind of saying that you can tell the difference when a duck's going to pass by and when he actually works a spread. And, you know, I think it's funny because people, I mean, they sell wood duck calls for a reason. Um, and, you know, not to give anything away for you listeners, but there may or may not be a wood duck call in one of these Fourth uh, of July giveaways coming up. Potential. Yeah, so. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> well, also, I don't, I, Tegan, I don't even I don't, know if this episode is well, gonna air well no not if it's gonna air, <laughs> air before july 4th <laughs> uh, i don't know if it's gonna air before july 4th we're not churning out episodes hmm. every tuesday and wednesday yeah <laughs> let's, dark, uh, let's you know, edit out the last 15 seconds i, I don't you know i i totally believe in uh good graces and i i don't i don't feel bad about talking about some of my favorite other waterfowl podcasts that i listen to um but the big honker, man, they, they put out an episode, like, I swear to gosh, every other day. Pumping them out? <laughs> yeah. I can't <laughs> listen to them fast enough. And because, you know, I've got to listen to, to our show to do edits. I've got to listen to, you know, um, I listen to our good buddies over at Duck Chronicle or Duck Gun Podcast um, with Jordan and Elliot from... Um, Oh, freelance, freelance yep, duck hunter. Yep. Yeah. Um, you know, and then obviously the, the other waterfowl podcasts. Um, but, uh, yeah, man, uh, they, they're popping them out, but back onto wood ducks. Sorry. Didn't mean to interject yeah. on your Let guys's freaking out about wood ducks. No. <laughs> well, you guys are gonna have to come down and get, get some for your wall. So we got some uh, in Kansas, but not like you do. Yeah. No, My, I, yeah, you. If you only want to have a good wood duck hunt, then you should come down to North Carolina. But you'd be able to choose which one you want to put on your wall, basically. Um, but yeah. Anyways, back to that. So yeah, I mean, I've had, I've had people. They were a little older than me. Have been duck hunting 10, 12 years, and you know, they, they again, kind of went back to the know it all kind of stuff. And, and like I said, not any one thing. Even what I'm saying, not any one thing is gonna always work or is always correct. I'm using for what I've experienced most of my life but this kid was adamant kid young, young adult was adamant um that wood ducks would not turn to a call um and or they wouldn't decoy to decoys and i've had them multiple times if you have a spinner out there and i put mallard mallard uh feeders out there that make the little ripples and they come straight i mean early morning they're not looking for specific ducks like mallards are they're not checking out swarming around they see motion they hear a call and boom they're in they're in the hole they commit really fast if you have never shot a wood duck uh i've never shot a wood duck but i'll tell you this i've been nearly decapitated by one oh yeah they fly like jets and one of the coolest things we got ever seen in my life we got into a hole late once and uh because the the truck got a flat tire um on the way there and uh, we we had a long hike into this public spot and yeah, lo and behold they're the only ones there um and so we're setting up right around shooting light and um 
someone's like ducks and I turn around and literally I I had a wood duck about three <laughs> feet in front of my face and I was like, Oh man, almost made me like I almost went water over the top of the waiters. Um, <laughs> my buddy Russ, uh, <laughs> he definitely <laughs> he was he was laughing his butt off so much that he dropped his gun um and we were like in standing water and like he he caught it but it, it was a good time so yeah no that's that's awesome that that's that's a wood duck for you i mean they're little fire jets and honestly people give teal you know the credit for being like fast ducks but i honestly watching a wood duck and i'm not trying to be biased or anything because i only hunt wood ducks a lot but watching them zip and zap through trees going 40 50 miles an hour and not hitting one in the low light is pretty amazing to watch. Um, yeah. One of the biggest things I've ever seen that was the coolest thing was watching one fly into a hole in a tree on a cypress. And it was going like 40 miles an hour. And I thought it was going to go through the, I thought I was going to hear a thud going through the other side of the tree. I looked, I hear nothing, but that bird turned on a dime and dove down into the tree. Never seen anything more amazing in my life. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, they're amazing animals. Well, you're about Um, to see something a lot more amazing than that, Devin. So, you got, I you hope got a, so. You got a kid um, coming. You got a kid coming up. So, oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's gonna be pretty. Pretty. Uh, it's gonna be awesome. I'm getting my hunting buddy. So, no, not uh, as good as yeah, that wood duck to... flying into that hole, though, sweetie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but Some I mean, that's your comment taken. Sorry, we, we bunny trailed. But yeah, I mean, I, everyone's got their own experience. I've literally hit a wood duck call. Had the wood ducks. They were going past me. I had a wood duck call. And they banked and turned and came right into my hole. I mean, I've had it had multiple times. It wasn't like one time experience. So, you know, I, can, I can't say that woods don't come to calls. I couldn't, if someone were to ask me, do they come to calls? I couldn't say no because I've seen it. Yeah. Well, I say it happens all the time, not very often, but it does happen. You know, you hey, can call them in. Devin, are, you, them, up, you, are, you, up at your, are you up at your still up in the Appalachian Mountains? With like no cell service or what's going on? You keep cutting in and out. I do not know. I am up at my house. I do not know why it's cutting in and out. I'm sorry for that. I'm staying at once. No, no I was just making fun of you, Appalachian Americans. I can move. You know. <laughs> just oh man. Uh, but yeah, I mean that's that. That's all I have for beginning waterfowlers. I mean, you know, feel free to reach out to me if you live in North Carolina. Reach out to me. I'll try to get up and hunt with you. Like I said, I'm not a professional by any means. I still don't know what I'm doing. I'm still filling it out. That's why I'm going to hunt with Ben and Tegan um, in early October before the baby comes and, you know, learn from them because that's the biggest thing you can do is be humble and, and soak as much information because when you're on your own, there's nobody to watch you. And so you're not impressing anybody else besides yourself. It's, it's kind of like what my granddad and dad used to always say is, you know, when you're you're only trying to get better, than yourself from the last time. So then that's really what it is. It's not a competition against anybody else yeah, or anything like that. You're, you're, you're trying to better yourself from the last time that you went out. Yeah. So. And you know, I think I, I always, you know, I, I think this to myself, everyone always says, you know, Devin, you, you've had some, some nominal success, um, with hunting in your, you know, three or four years that you've been in a, I, and I'm not saying that North Carolina is a is a bad state for waterfowl hunting um, at all. But oh, it is. you can say it. It's all right. Well, see, no, that's the exact opposite of the point <laughs> I was going to say. Is this? Guess what? I know. Ducks are being killed in 49 out of the. 50, I don't know anything about Hawaii. <clears throat> I don't even think you can hunt. Anyway, yeah. <laughs> I have no idea. But what I'm saying though is, is you know, uh, I don't know many. Nobody thinks of. West Texas, El Paso, uh, but that's world-class hunting. Um, I've had people tell me that that are in the know. Um, nobody thinks of, you know, some states like, you know, literally California, um, you know, Utah, these places, you know, where there's, you know, generally not the – it's not Louisiana. It's not Kansas, Oklahoma, you know, the Gulf of, uh, of Texas, um, you know, there's ducks to be had everywhere. And, and yeah, sure. Some places are better than others. Um, and I just want to do a quick little plug in here, um, for, you know, hunt Hickory Creek. You talked a little bit about them earlier. And if you want to, 
get into Kansas. Kansas is a pretty special place for waterfowl hunting um, in in our in our era. You know, the flyways have been shifting to the west a little bit uh, over the last couple decades, and and Kansas is really right in the thick of it. And Hunt Hickory Creek Chase, like you said, man, he's a he's a great guy. Um, you know, I talk to him almost every other day, and half the time it's not about waterfowl hunting. Um, and you know, he's coming on to give us some pro tips um, here in these episodes, and and because he really is, he's not just about you know getting clients and and getting ducks uh, you know he's really out there to help <laughs> help you you know be the best hunter in person that you, you can be i guess so um yeah but man and we I, are and I will, if, go if ahead you let me put something in too i mean from personal experience i, I hunted turkey with him as we've heard earlier in the show but you're gonna go away satisfied whether you kill three ducks or whether you kill you know, I guess however many would be three days. So 18 ducks right? and a couple geese or whatever, whatever the limits are for you, because he's, he's a, he's a great guy and you're going to enjoy being around him. Even if the hunt is slow, you know, he's going to make sure you feel, um, at home with your, like you were hunting with your buddies, your best buddies. Um, he's going to give you a great experience, whether, you know, I, I think that's important too, because the very first time or, I mean, no, a lot of a lot of whether times. Whether you're out there for your first time or whether, go ahead. Sorry. No, yeah. I mean, a lot of times, you know, um, I'll tell you, I've only been on one guided hunt in my life, uh, just because I'm kind of a do-it-yourselfer kind of dude. Um, but uh, you know, I, I hear talk about some of these places. They get a little. They can get a little. Uh, what's the word? They they say bougie. Yeah. Like, <laughs> you get a little bougie, and <laughs> we don't ever use that word again. <laughs> your one time in life you can use that word oh man okay fine but anyways um (laughs) i think it's it's pretty cool i mean it's it's professionalism is a super important thing but man like professionalism versus you know the part of that is just being a human and the best thing about a duck blind is is you can make a a million and a half dollars a year and you can make ten ten and a half thousand dollars a year and uh, those two people can sit in the in the same duck blind and have a common bond and thread and just enjoy each other's presence and company. Um, and if you if you don't have that part of your waterfowl hunt, and if you're sitting there kind of thinking, oh, man, like the, there's no birds coming in or something like that, um, and you're not having fun, like. It's 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 huge to to have the the actual bonding experience during all that uh, because there's plenty of opportunity to be had. Like I think rarely are you going to get skunked, especially with an outfitter in in Kansas, especially with the way that the flyways are. Um, but yeah, I mean, what, what's all that? You know, what's what's three days of limits if you kind of have a crappy time and. Um, you don't really have any, you know, fun outside of the shooting. But you know, skunks they yes. do happen, and it is a part of hunting. And what you guys are talking about, you know, having a good time sometimes can trump or override uh, a limit. I think I would rather go on a guided hunt and get skunked, but have a guy who took care of me. We had good camaraderie in the blind. Versus maybe I go out and shoot a limit or a few ducks, and you know, I wasn't really treated the best, or maybe the guy wasn't the nicest person. Yeah. Yep. So, like, we're an hour in, and I originally titled this episode as "Talking Turkey." <laughs> but uh, hey, there's nothing wrong with there's nothing wrong with the campfire talk. Sometimes you just you get away. Yeah, dude. I tell you what, you know. So we kind of, you know, we recorded a, an episode before this, and it was great. Uh, Brian Moyes is just a wealth of knowledge and. Um, great guy absolutely i I hope you all enjoyed that episode and and we're sorry that we followed it up with a character such as Devin. um (laughs) no it's his fault i'm just i'm just kidding i think it's super important because you know we've had um like two weeks ago we had tony vanamore on um and then you know a guy like brian um but guess what those guys are super important to the industry and those guys are like super people to have on your podcast um but so are guys like Devin, just legit genuine dudes that are 
cutting their teeth right now um, out you know in the waterfowl world and it's really important to touch back home to what we're really doing here you know what good is it if we have all the professionals come and talk to us and we you know talk about all these products and we talk about all these advanced hunting techniques What, what good is it if we never touch home and say you know have a good pulse on you know what the guy really wants you know needs to you know learn in his first three to five years you know another thing too is having connection with you guys Devin's a friend but he's also you know he's a listener just like all you guys out there listening and you know uh Ben we haven't really talked about it too much but uh, you know one of the future plans maybe even do uh maybe an Instagram or Facebook live episode and let all you listeners come on and let's just hear from you guys and you know feel free to always reach out to us through the Facebook group uh, through the voicemail, you know, we love hearing from you guys. And like Ben was saying, you know, it's great having those big name guys on here. But sometimes you just you gotta, you know, kick it with the blue collars. Yeah, dude. At the end of the day, um, <laughs> to to level with you, I'm just a dude in my basement with a, you know, I work 60 hours a week, and you know, I've got a, a new kid, and I've got chores that I have to do. My wife's, you know. Um, I, you know, uh, spending time with her, which is awesome. At the end of the day, man, we're just, you know, taking the same. He's getting, he's pregnant. You know, we're just dudes. We're just dudes. And, um, you know, I just wanted to level with all the listeners out there. Like, we're not trying to get all upscale with all these, you know, commercials and things. We just want the podcast to, to pay for itself and, um, you know keep bringing you this stuff. I'm having a great time. We're just down here at my, in my bar in in the basement and just kicking it. And tell you what, what is this? This is our, um, 18th full episode. I tell you what, like I didn't know Devin nine, 10 weeks ago. Yeah. I I didn't like, you know, it's crazy that the opportunities and friendships that you can find and like, you know, Devin's coming out to he, he's he's you know he passed the serial killer test, um, maybe, may, maybe. possibly, <laughs> but you know he's uh, you know he's bringing his wife down to um, Magnolia Farms. Um, hey Chip, Joanna, if you want to throw us some 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 sponsorship money for the mention, <laughs> go ahead and do that. Um, but you know he's taking his wife to uh, on a baby moon down to Magnolia Farms, and we're midway. And he's staying at Hotel de la Page. You know what I'm saying? Um, and it's just great. And I, I hope that there can be many friendships that are made through um, the podcast group. And I hope that you guys get in there and just start trading hunts. Like, hey, bro, you, you don't, you know, um, you don't necessarily have to go out and get a guided hunt. I can't, I can't uh, guarantee you that we're going to shoot a limit. Like maybe um, some other places can. But like, guess what? You're gonna come over to my place. You're gonna have a beer, and then we're gonna go shoot some ducks in the morning. And then you know what? Maybe I'll head over on, over to North Carolina next season, and we'll, we'll do it that way. I, I hope that's something that you know can be garnered out of all of this, and um, you combine that with you know coming out to uh, you know come hunt with us one day, and then you go. And get your your legit hunting with uh, you know Chase over Hunt Hickory, you know something like that. Um, but I mean, I just hope y'all just are friendly and you know trade hunts and make friends. Yeah, you know, I was reading some of the Facebook comments in the listeners group uh, a couple of days ago, and I saw some comments in there that some guys found out that they actually live pretty close by next to each other, and they talked about possibly linking up for a hunt, and you know, obviously. You know, people don't want to give away maybe their honey hole spot, but it doesn't always have to be the honey hole spot. If you guys can get in that listener group and even with us, you know, make some connections, make some friendships, some relationships, and maybe share blind together. I mean, that's what this is all about. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of the Foul Front Waterfowl Podcast. Please come join us on our Facebook group, the Foul Front Waterfowl Podcast group, where you can connect with a good group of hunters because we're all in this together. We need to act like it so that hopefully our great, great, grandkids will be hunting ducks over our favorite public lands Uh, we also ask that you go ahead and give us a written review on itunes and give us five stars if you think we deserve it and we really do want to hear back from you 
uh, so that we can give you the best possible content. And if you get in on that Facebook group, you can get in there and you can ask questions and you can tell us what you want to hear next or you can tell us uh, what you don't like and we'll be sure to tailor things to our listeners. So, all right, stay safe out there and we will see you next week. Hey, you ever been sitting in front of your TV just wondering why you can't catch the latest episode of The Foul Front right there in your living room so you can impress all your guests and family with your fine taste and podcast listening? Me neither. But hey, as a part of the Waypoint Outdoor Collective, you can now find The Foul Front and some other great podcasts on your Apple TV, your Roku, your Amazon Fire Stick, Smart TV, even your gaming console just by downloading the Waypoint app. And heck, while you're there, they got over 2,500 hunting and fishing shows on demand. Go download the Waypoint app today. Brave anglers search for the one they call king, but who will take his throne? Tune in to Waypoint TV's Battle for Silver, Saturday, May 18th from 12 to 6 p.m. Eastern. Presented by Abyss Battery, Waypoint TV. When you go out there and the fish are where you think they are, any one of these casts could be the bite. It's the most exciting fishing that I know right here at Hawks Cave. Oh, that's awesome. Experience the best saltwater fishing the world has to offer. Don't miss Thursdays with Saltwater Experience. Brought to you by Golden Boat Lifts. Every Thursday night from 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV. The destination for outdoor entertainment.